The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. My name is Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. Today my guest is Dr. Ignatius Praptorahajo or Gumbit, research consultant at the Centre for Health Policy and Management at Gajamada University and in the HIV AIDS Research Centre at Atmajaya University in Jakarta. Today, Gumbit joins me to discuss the findings of a major research project he co-authored with his colleagues at Atmajaya and from Porkumpulangaya Warnalantara, Indonesia. It is a wide-ranging cross-sectional study of Indonesia's LGBT community with a specific focus on their access to health services and health policy, but goes much further, providing a deep and rich insight into the realities of entrenched and systemic discrimination of LGBT people in society, government institutions and services in particular. Today, Gumbit shares some of the key findings and updates us on the situation for the LGBT in Indonesia more broadly. As an experienced health researcher, I also took the opportunity to ask him for his insights into the COVID-19 situation in Indonesia as it was unfolding at the time we spoke. Hello, Gumbit. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to discuss about the topic with you, Jema. Well, you're very welcome. Gumbit, can we begin with maybe you could tell us about, in broad terms, the current situation for LGBT in Indonesia, about their day-to-day reality? Uh, actually, the current LGBT situation in Indonesia is not different from the situation previous years. It means that still have negative sentiments and also s- some of them experience with the stigma and discrimination, including prosecution in some uh, cities with their uh, identity or behavior. There is tendency in the public that LGBT actually refer to men who have sex with men or transgender or warrior. Mm-hmm. So only those groups actually refer to the LGBT for general people. The warrior actually is the one who experiences the most violence from the society because their appearance. I said warrior here is transgender woman. So actually effort to criminalize LGBT in the national law have been made through several proposed laws, including revision of the criminal law that is currently being discussed. So the current discussion around the family welfare law strictly refer that the family only heterosexual a relationship that can be accepted and outside of the heterosexual family it will be rehabilitated in order to have normal family as expected in law this and is still being debated must, yeah it's still in debate in the house of parliament actually mm. but at the local level many local laws that criminalize lgbt have been made by local government that directly prohibit same-sex relationship and will have a legal consequence if they found to be same-sex relationship. These regulations which prohibit same-sex relations are actually based on the division of authority between central and sub-national government, where the matter of decency 
is left to the regional government because decency is part of creating public order. Mm. So the problem of decency is interpreted by the regional government as in the form of prostitution or sex with the same sex. So that's the current situation. And actually, the central government, our penal law, has not defined same-sex relationship is illegal. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. And never before in Indonesian Never law. before. It's only for the men who have sex with boy under 18 as a child protection mm-hmm. law. But at the end, I think it will be criminalized. Everything. <laughs> Everything. You don't think that Jokowi saying, okay, I'll take this under advisement, that we'll have more time to consider this is going to change no, the no. situation? No, I, I think it's getting worse, actually. With the law that has been discussed so far, mm. I think the situation will be worse. And as you point out, if regional governments have already implemented. Yes. We say in English, the horse has already bolted. So the situation, it's already happening. There's no stopping it in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's many political groups try to get more popularity through supporting the laws. Right. And so it is a popular thing. Yes. We can say that. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, this kind of brings me, I mean, you talk in the report, there's so much really interesting stuff in this research, but you mention how within the community itself, there's something that you call self-stigma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, we have not uh, unified terms of self-stigma because what we conceptualize in the first would be different from the interpretation of the people. The respondents yeah. themselves. Yeah, so, so, so the first that we define self-stigma is assessing yourself as has been stereotyped by others. So in this case, LGBT as an identity or behavior that is not normal. Contrary to the social and religious norm, shameful and does not deserve to be owned or done. So this is the thing that we also got information or the perspective from the respondent about what is the self-stigma. And we personalize the internal stigma into the questionnaire. Right. Yeah, and some of them confirm about the self-stigma. So meaning that they themselves feel like their behaviors are shameful. Yes. 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 So so that's why like they try to avoid the stigma by denying their behavior or identity. So this denial makes this group not easily recognized or mm-hmm. hidden. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is a natural thing to reduce the negative consequence that arise if yeah. identity or behavior is revealed. Yeah. So on the other hand, this denial is actually an obstacle for us yeah. and for themselves to help them or they get help from other agencies. And you dig down and dig into this idea of self-stigma, I guess. Some of the questions that you ask in the survey, very pointed ones about how your informants experience in their interactions with public agencies, with institutions, government, with health services, with police, etc. Yeah, yeah. You ask them, you know, do you feel like you're treated the same as everyone else yeah, yeah. all the time, never, sometimes? Yes, yes. And I found this really fascinating response that you, that you had across the different groups that you, yeah, you yeah. use, which are different sexual identity and gender minority groups. But overall, was I think it was about 63% said they feel like they're treated the same as everyone else. Yeah, yeah. How did you, as the researchers, respond to that? Was that a surprise to you? Yes. 
Yes, I think we try to interpret the result by viewing the different kind of appearance in the public by this group. If we like disaggregate the 63% and we found that for the transgender, it's lower than than the others. Yeah. Like the homosexual man or lesbian is mm. like higher, higher than, than a transgender. So yeah. I think it's a matter of how to disclose your identity and behavior. Mm. That's one. The, the second is, I think they focusing on the health service provider instead of in general, because the service providers, especially in health sector, is what a custom more than the other agencies, so they can be more accept sexual orientation or sexual behavior well, among hope, the clients. You would hope that they would be yes, <laughs> incredibly yes. inclusive. Yeah, and yeah, open. yeah. So because because sometimes like. The stigma or discrimination will reduce among health workers when they have more interaction with the population. Like the example, in Jakarta, there are some uh, community health centers that provided services for MSM or right. uh, transgender. So they are more accept. Than, That's their main uh, business. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so you're thinking that the respondents maybe conflated some of this into the yes, one yeah, yeah group. one category yeah, yeah yeah right but for you and the researchers involved you you didn't take that as a final that yeah. you, you continued to ask further questions yes uh, yes to dig deeper into understanding discrimination how and how it's sometimes quite yeah, hidden yeah so what did you find when you asked further questions yeah i think for transgender in terms of the program they can be accepted but in terms of when they express their sexuality would be difficult to be accepted. That's not only for service provider, for the NGO also. Sometimes they ask the transgender or MSM to quote unquote behave like a normal person. In That's the advice. Yeah, yeah. In order to be what accepted yeah. by the service provider. Mm. So I think this is like kind of internalized stigma in which those outreach workers are actually from the community. Right. Yeah, they so it's, are. It's become part of the culture. Uh, yeah, part of the culture yeah. and try to provide advice that conform mm. the mm. norms, right. the social norms. So, so this is the thing that I think, yeah, in terms of program, they would accept. But in terms of sexuality expression would be difficult, mm. especially for uh, because yeah, sometimes the service provider talk to the MSM, for example, you are so handsome, why are you homosexual? Right. Yes. So, this kind of thing. is. So when you're saying service provider, you're talking about people at healthcare centers. Yes. Mm. Yes. And and you also, there was, an, there was a mention there also of the, uh, I guess it's fairly common from, from what you found, that people are kind of given a little lecture about religion and ethics. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah. Mm. This is like part of the obligation of health worker to advise the religious or the social norm that appropriate for the society. So complex. Yes. Yeah. So within this climate, we're talking about NGOs who deliver healthcare programs and the healthcare providers themselves to support LGBT. I mean, how hard is it for them to go about their work and, you know, to make a difference in yeah. this, you know, we're talking about the general social climate of, well, hostility towards the LGBT community. Yeah, I think 
we still have the focus actually the health service not only based on health policy but it will be based on like the social policies including law so they can provide better services if the law can support it for example like for HIV program there is a national AIDS program that should reach the MSM and transgender and also male sex workers but at the regional law we can see that the MSM transgender and male sex worker are criminalized so if the community health center provide services to them then it will conflict with the local law in which community health center is part of the local government so the easiest way that uh, we found in the research that it's better to neglect the existence of the population instead of they have problem with the local government mm. so if or they try to register those those population as male or female so no other uh, categories that actually has been defined by the national aids program right. yeah so it also works for the sex worker sex worker if they come to the community health center mm -hmm. then they will be identified as a, a housewife okay so that, that that's there's the ways thing. of yeah. working around it yes so yes. so the communities have worked out their own strategies yeah in in collaboration actually with the community health center yeah 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 in order to get the service delivered yes yes but when you're saying the HIV for prevention program is a national program yes that is is it legislated or funded by the Indonesian government or actually because it's a national it's program the owner of the program actually Ministry of Health even though 90% of the funding for prevention actually from the global fund right and 90% for the treatment actually from the national budget mm -hmm. but it seemed that there is a reluctance actually from Ministry of Health in terms of supporting prevention program which is like more conflicting than the treatment itself yeah so mm -hmm. so that's the thing that we don't have really have the national guidelines that can be used by the community health center also NGO to implement the national aids program mm -hmm. When we ask about this, and Ministry of Health always say that it depends on the local regulation. So yeah. that's and, and then you're stuck. And and we're stuck. Yeah. And then the what the creativity of NGOs and also the community health center to keep providing service is the strategy. Mm. So these are the barriers yes. to access services, and I want to ask about that a bit more in a moment. But. What can you tell us? What are the consequences before we get into that? What are the what are the consequences of what are known to be health disparities among sexual and gendered minorities, and what are the consequences if they grow and continue in society yeah, for public yeah. health? Yeah, I think in health services, as I said before, that many social determinants that affect the health status of individuals. So if so many barriers that come from the what social factors like law norms and also the the attitudes toward uh, lgbt then would affect the health status among the the population mm. and 
I think if the NGOs and community health center cannot provide or cannot access the community, then I'm sure that the, their health status will be getting worse. Because our other research actually has showed that the brother closure has impacted in increasing the number of HIV among sex workers. Right. So so I think would be... Is they're, they're practicing less safe sex and... Of course. When they're not in the brothel. Yes, yeah. yes. And they're working would, at home, they're more vulnerable because right. they're out on their own. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I think it would also work for the MSM and mm. uh, transgender if the regulation will be enforced or if the national government does not have intention to make inclusive and equitable policies for those uh, marginalized population. Mm. And the report touches on, so there's also those, you know, sexually transmitted disease type risk. Yes. But then just general not accessing doctors or health support for regular things. Yes, like, yes. So general health is, is at risk. But you also mentioned mental health as quite a big one. Yes, yes, of course. Like, one of our section in the study actually about uh, assessing the current mental health and we found that LGBT are suffering from uh, mental health problems in, in general. And unfortunately, we don't have mental health services at the community level. So if someone have problems and they have to go to the hospital, that which is uh, they have to pay more mm. and would be actually would be difficult for most of the population. One of our uh, recommendation actually from from the research actually how to provide psychosocial support for the LGBT community at local level. So by encouraging community health centers to provide a mental health service because. By law, actually, community health centers should provide those kind of uh, services. But again, we have a mental health law in 2014. But so far, there is no operational guidelines to implement the law. So it means that community health centers cannot provide until the, the, guidelines. Until the guideline established. What is the impediment? What is, what is the barrier to that? Intention, political, political will. will. Yeah, because I think because the mental health law is proposed by parliament, not by government. So sometimes, if the law proposed by parliament, mm. it's yeah, it's more yeah politically accepted, because this is like the voice of the people. Mm -hmm. Then government should support this initiative. But in terms of the implementation, I think that's. A different story. So, for example, like it's almost six years, non-technical guidelines uh, developed by. So nothing happening. Nothing happened. So it would be difficult for like the marginalized communities actually suffer from mental health problem more than a general community. So people in the LGBT community, given what we've just discussed about yeah. the stigma, the self-stigma, the discourse around being normal and yeah. and not presenting as themselves as they are and means that there is greater pressure on them in terms of their mental health and yes. that they are more vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so the yes. need is, is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like in community health center they have they can they can 
provide like the treatment for anxiety, depression, and also right. insomnia. So mm-hmm. that's the basic. And and even only three symptoms can be treated, but what we call puskesmas, yeah. the community health center cannot provide it. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. <laughs> Gosh. The barriers that we, we're discussing here are really deeply systemic across yeah. Indonesian society, right? Media, government, you've told us about that. We could also mention the unethical behavior by yeah, law yeah. enforcement authorities, yeah, yeah. right? So how does the LGBT community and the organizations that are supporting them begin to tackle these huge challenges, which are you know, deep within Indonesian society right now? Yeah, I think that's also difficult question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, don't, I don't expect you to give me the answer. But, you know, one by one, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're huge things. Yeah. But I guess, you know, I'm getting at your report is about this idea of empowerment. So yes. maybe, you know, tell yeah. us about that. What, okay. you know, what are the pathways that, you know, you're recommending from yes. the research? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's true that if you look at the government, society and the media are very negative to the social position of LGBT. So, for example, uh, we are conducting empowerment program for transgender youth, actually youth transgender. And what uh, the media, when we invite media to inform about the effort, the media is more interested to their past experience as a sex worker. Instead of how they, what, uh, what, f- uh, try or force themselves to be, what, to be part of the empowerment uh, program. Mm, so rather than telling their story, yeah, telling the story of fullness, like why did you have to, to do become prostitute, and then how are you? You know, what is your life like? How why are you in taking part in the empowerment program? Yes, yes. The media just want to focus on that narrow. On, on, yeah, on story. on, on the, the sex. Yeah, right. And and because some of the reader asked to yeah. close the initiative, because it means that our center support the Believe criminal me. activity or uh, shameful activity mm-hmm. or sin activity. Yeah. So especially we, our our center is like a religious religious based university. Then, then would be well, mm. how you support the people who have sins like that. So that's that's the thing that wow. that we got uh, impact from the media when they are interested. Right. So you've learned uh, right. that lesson. Yes. Yes. That you know, on the one hand you can think positively and hope that if you invite the media in to hear from these people, meet these people, right, 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 you know, right. human beings, yes, you know, yes. lives, <laughs> stories to tell, that they'll do the right thing, but that hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. then we got backfire from the reader that we have to close. and But we're still supporting this uh, initiative. Yeah. But do you invite the media anymore? No, I w- we try to make uh, what tight selection yeah. of the media that want to uh, expose the the initiative. Mm. So yeah, that's that's our learning from yeah. uh, the media and from government itself. Government actually has like a categorization of the people who have problem with social welfare, and one of them actually transgender. So government will always try to make transgender to be 
normal person. Right. So here you mentioned the access to ID cards being a really yes. big problem yes, for yes, transgenders in yes. particular, which means they can't then access the services at all. Right, so right. So that's, that's that issue, is that? What yes, yeah. yes. So, so I think this is this one that the experience by transgender people that that they cannot have ID in Jakarta, for example, because they have to prove that they have ID in their origin city. Mm-hmm. And it would be difficult to get the ID from origin city if they have different uh, sex. So it's better for them just go, without, uh, go it. without it. Is there some process of advocating in government? To yeah. Improve yeah. That? Actually, we we have a hate and love relationship with, right. with Ministry of Social Affairs because at, at the same time, they like against the transgender woman. But on the other side, they also have the authority actually to authorize mm-hmm. those people can have the social support from the government. So we try to make balance between You have to work with them. <laughs> with them. Yeah. yeah. So so because in like for example in in national health insurance everyone who cannot prove their identity they should go to the Ministry of Social Affairs to be recommend to have the ID card and then they can have It can just the, simply be authorized yes. at the ministry. Yes. Ah. So, so, so that's the thing that that sometimes how to deal with the Ministry of Social Affairs yeah. with their position through the marginalized population, actually. Right. Yeah, we have to deal how to how make how make uh, advocacy uh, with the Ministry of Health for different reasons. Mm. Yeah, sometimes, for example, like like uh, the prosecution or criminalization of. Male sex worker, how can we advocate those population? It would be difficult. Mm. But at the same time, many uh, male sex workers don't have ID and they need the social health insurance. So, mm. so this is part of yeah. the thing that the we yeah, try to work on right. that issues. And you do make progress, like just little by little. Yes, like I think we cannot expect the change soon but we have to be patient and also mm. persistent in advocating those issues mm. yeah because if we just want to like direct change then it would be difficult and may have have negative impact to the community mm. itself and what about law enforcement authorities yeah. is that one of the really tough ones or not for yeah, negotiating that's, that's different different for different population actually for example, like police, yeah, police will rate the MSM directly. But what civil police, the police owned by local government, will rate the transgender woman. So they've kind of divided up. Yes. Who's yes. doing what? Yeah, because they have different perspective. Okay. Like civil, civil uh, police focusing on enforcement of the local law, right. which rely on the public order. But police is more likely to force on the criminal law. So it means that for MSM, they will consider it as the, a criminal yeah. because doing the same sex. Mm. That's actually different from the penal code yeah. that already uh, used as an umbrella for criminal uh, law. 
And for regional police or civil police, they will prosecute the transgender as the violation of the public order. Mm. And they have to be like in the rehabilitation center. What is a rehabilitation center? The rehabilitation center is a place that used by government to refunction the people who are considered as a... So they're detained? Yeah, detained for certain times and right. then... and they With no chance of appealing or... No. No. Okay. Mandatory detention. Mandatory detention. For how long? It can be like... 15 to 30 days. Until they're convinced that this person has somehow reformed? Not exactly, but okay. it depends on the funding availability because each person will have like a certain times to be detained. Right. So like, for example, 15 or 30 days. And what goes on in there? Yeah, they, they will attend the, like the religious teachings, oh. the activity, the like group activities. And also if they have Again, if they have program for skills building, then they can attend the skill buildings. If not, then it's only just stay in the rehabilitation center. So is that in many provinces or many regions in Indonesia that they have these centers? Yeah, almost every province has this the social rehabilitation center. And I imagine that some of the people who are detained may have been to them several times in the of course. In and out? Yeah, yeah. And and they they will be in the rehabilitation center with the other people who are considered as a indecent what, or yeah, indecent yeah. in 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 the community. Right. So like homeless. I see. And then uh what uh, people who have mental illness and so on and put in the same uh center. Right. Okay. So that is just something that the transgender community accept yes. as part of living, part of life. Yes, yes. This is yes. where you may spend some time for a few weeks. Yes. Okay. So yeah. when the civil, can I just go back and when the civil police conduct a raid or they round up yeah. people, are these events that are could be quite private events or always public events or? No, the civil police actually raids in the like. When they usually hang out, right places, yeah, just yeah. So so on the street. So it is a public. Yeah. So that's yeah. why, like, the reason for the rates is tied to make a public order. I see. Yeah. Yeah. It would be different from the MSM. Yes. So the police raid and happen when Sometimes people are in, in a, yeah. a private houses. Okay. So that's the two things going on. Yeah. yeah. I get it. So that's difficult. So for you and for advocates, it's about having communication with both. Of those agencies then? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I think what have been done by the NGO working for, especially for the transgender, actually try to advocate civil police in their what bigger uh, advocacy effort. Mm -hmm. So they try. And, and some, some of the NGO already convinced the local police to have discretion yeah if they have rates and then mm. they yeah they can bring the transgender into the center but then can be released soon right yeah so like okay so they've done their job yes yeah and 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 we, they, but they don't have to detain, like detain for, and say oh yeah. well you know anyway it costs us a lot of money yeah 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 <laughs> right that, make that argument yeah yeah yeah, yeah about yeah. the economics of it 
So the core of what you know you're doing and in the research, you know, your recommendations are all around empowerment. What does empowerment look like? What you know, what what would you like to see work? Yeah, this also have different perspective from different uh, informants. Yeah. yeah. So like when we conceptualize the empowerment here, at first. We define empowerment as an effort to support people in being able to have control over themselves, be able to show their position in social relationship, and be able to control the resources needed. But in discussion with the informant, some participants define empowerment as seen as awareness upon their health. So that's right. uh, they limit the empowerment as the how we understand. The health problems, and then how to seek the right. health services to respond their health problems. Mm-hmm. And the second informant also inform that uh, empowerment relates to legal awareness. So they don't consider a health service as a part of the empowerment, but empowerment is activities that relates to their right. And they say that including health rights, but Focusing on legal aspect of the person as a citizen, and then the other is empowerment means capacity building for the community. That's uh, very common actually. Right. In addition to the health, what we call empowerment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then they denote to oh, this is economic empowerment. So okay. this is like a training to get alternative employment. Right. Or uh, alternative education. Mm-hmm. So this. We Again, have quite a narrow, yeah, narrow view of it. Uh, what definition? So yeah. finally, we have like three different concept about empowerment from the community, mm-hmm. and the last actually the economic empowerment mostly voiced by the transgender community, mm-hmm. but for the legal aspect of the empowerment is yeah. mostly voices by the lesbian community. And then MSM is more on health services because yeah. because mo- the MSM program actually related with HIV program. Right. So, so that's they, kind they're of just focusing where they're focused. On, yeah. I see exactly why the different emphasis would be there. Yeah, yeah. But from your perspective and the recommendations that you you know you have, is it about addressing all those? Like- yeah. So from this research, we try to have follow-up advocacy or research or program. So far, we are focusing on the transgender community, but we are planning to develop program targeting youth MSM, especially about their sexuality and their rights. Right. So we'll use the social media as a platform yeah. to educate the, the young MSM. 18 to right. start, 9, start with the young ones. Yeah, I think in terms of this current policies, it mm-hmm. would be yeah challenging actually to have like direct services to those yeah uh, to have gatherings and so on. So yeah. so and I think would be a strategic move or step for us actually to provide social media platform that can be accessed by yeah makes the young. a lot of sense. And yeah. Indonesians are already highly connected online. Yeah, yeah. and I think. Education for their rights is mm. the basic. Uh, so that you're talking yeah. about their general rights as citizens. Yes. 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 So yes. not to just focus on health. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, 
So and then that has a trickle down yeah, because yeah. everything follows that. So we think that, yeah, in terms of the coercive law here, I think it would mm. be good if we keep educating the young with the rights. Mm. Yeah. Because as you describe it, and as the research points out, most of the LGBT community members feel that they are empowered in some way, yeah, right? That's yeah. what you concluded, that yes, yes. people are not feeling completely helpless. Yes. They feel like they have their own community that is pretty strong and on whom they can rely and they can yeah. also access services by using all those strategies that yeah, we just yeah, talked yeah, about. Yeah. Yes, so they're yes. feeling empowered to an extent, but I guess... You, the encouragement is to add yeah. more to that. Right, right. Yeah. So if we just focusing on the health, then would be like uh, our uh, study showed. But in terms of in more broader perspective, then mm. we think that we must do something to strengthen in their uh, rights fulfillment. Yeah, and I mean that because the research is so rich, yeah. you know, that you have so much in the research that um, describes not just how LGBT really, you know, uh, engage with health service, but across yes. the board, it's extremely exciting research that I hope that you can build on and get those programs going. Okay, thank you. But Gumbit, before we leave, because I've got you in the room, yeah, yeah. and because this is, you know, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, and, you know, on the way in here this morning, we, we had a quick chat about Australia compared to Indonesia, yeah, and you've been yeah. here for a couple of weeks now, yeah, so... Yeah. But you are in touch with what's happening in Indonesia. Can you give us a little update as of, you know, this moment? Yeah, got the information from from the news and also from the network. And we know that uh, President uh, Jokowi already declared as the emergency state of the nation because of COVID. And some local government already decided to make like social distancing like that yeah that uh, limit the interaction between uh, among the peoples and some of the university already decided to have like online courses and right, to shut the campus shut the campus and, and that is your university is at Upmajaya and Ugayan yeah yeah and also the high school and elementary school already been closed for two weeks so it seemed that quite panic. Yeah. Uh, about so they're going the into the response. real shutdown yes, kind of thing. Yes. How, I mean, in your opinion, um, you know the Ministry of Health pretty well and you know the infrastructure and the health system in Indonesia pretty well. How prepared is Indonesia for coping? Yeah, we have discussion yesterday about how to to have screening and it seemed that it would be difficult actually for someone to have like a screening in the health services. Right, because if they went to their local community health yes, service yes. and they asked for a test. And it would be difficult because now it's more centralized and yes, in some of the cities they can provide screening but in general we don't have really preparedness for mm. a screen that the disease. So, mm. so, so mm. I think what we should do actually preparing the screening sites everywhere and yeah. we can see because the screening can make the people anticipate more better, uh, better where than, the spread yeah, will, be. will be yeah the so more on. people are tested the more you can know you can what, take measure prevention uh, yeah what about general um you know here in australia and elsewhere obviously it's the general precautions that we're being asked to take including hand sanitation and social yeah. distancing that you mentioned 
how about that in Indonesia, like general hygiene and adherence to those kinds of directions? Do you think that that's yeah, would yeah would be would be different because Indonesia is so large yeah. and and we have different kind of the geographic diversity. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe in the cities they have the availability of sanitizer and health service more, but in other then would be difficult. Yeah, like in Maluku, in Papua, or in remote area would be difficult if the COVID reach that area would be difficult to be. Mm. To be like prevented, and you were also mentioning earlier that you, because they're remote, doesn't it? You can't say that they haven't that the disease may not reach there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many tourists, not only foreign tourists, but also domestic tourists, come to those remote area, and we don't know what they bring to that uh, area. So I think we cannot just exclude the remote area from the coverage of the prevention, but it should also be considered. Yeah. And Papua, you mentioned. Yes. As somewhere that really you, you would advise the government focus a lot of right, right. The services, Yeah, right? because the existing service is not enough. For the general service itself, we still have a struggle to make like equity mm. approach in that mm. area. Well, we will wait and see, but okay. you know, we can only hope that, okay. <laughs> that it doesn't get as bad. Yeah, hopefully like our government more progressive to like provide preventive yeah. measures, especially for the local and remote mm. area. Well, we will wait and see and have a safe trip home. Okay, thank you, Jima. Thank you for joining okay, us. Okay, thank you for the opportunity. That was Ignatius Praptorahajo or Gambit from the Centre for Health Policy and Management at Gajamari University and HIV AIDS Research Centre at Atmajaya Catholic University in Jakarta. Talking Indonesia will return on the 9th of April, hosted by Dirk Thompson. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.